Hello and welcome to the PR Moment Leadership Podcast. Uh, today, I'm really pleased to welcome uh, Ian Herbison, CEO and founder of Spaceside Group, a group which uh, in an integrated manner looks after all manners of uh, policy relations, government relations and corporate affairs. Uh, what's really going to be interesting in our conversation today is how the whole policy making aspect of uh, things have evolved in India. And I don't think we have a modern example of uh, the, um, the level of policy making and the sheer amount of policy making, which has happened in India post liberalization. Welcome, Ian. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you, Pearl. Hi. Hi. Uh, so, Ian, my first question is uh, if you could take us through what policy affairs really looked like in, uh, post, in the post liberalization scenario, as I mentioned before. Uh, I think India is a rare uh, example of a high growth uh, market, something which you all specialize in, of a high growth market, which, which really had to start from scratch in all levels of modern policy making post liberalization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just huge change um, socially, politically, economically, and obviously um, that feeds through to, to huge activity in terms of government and regulatory activity and and. The first thing I always say in an Indian context, whilst many focus on the centre, uh, one obviously needs, and indeed a lot of our activity is at a state level, um, a, a huge amount of activity down at the state level. So, um, you know, I think given that highly complex, fast-changing context, public policy professionals have an essential role, um, and it shouldn't be seen as backroom fixes or special interests applying pressure to get their way. Um, but really, when it works well, a two-way process. Firstly, us as professionals helping our clients to understand the attitude, the agenda, the priorities of government. Um, and on the flip side of that, helping our clients to bring value to government, to structure a dialogue, uh, raise awareness of issues and, and, and help find workable solutions to public policy challenges. So I think that's a really important role um, in, 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 a, in a liberal democratic system. And uh, I guess, I mean, your, your question really is also about how is that evolving? What new approaches are we, uh, are we seeing? Um, and I always frame this in terms of you have an insider approach and an outsider approach. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, the inside approach is, is helping clients, companies to have a quiet technical dialogue behind the scenes um, with government, uh, make representations on certain issues. Um, whereas the outsider approach is, is very much more about saying, okay, let's raise awareness around issues, let's shape sentiment, let's build coalitions um, and really drive change that way. And, um, you know, certainly for us, um, if you accept there's that outsider role, that role of building coalitions, driving change, it really calls for the integration of public policy with some of the more traditional elements of public relations, you know, um, reaching out to stakeholders, engaging, um, speaking, uh, using media, using social media, um, uh, working through influencers to, as I say, build, build coalitions for change. And, and, and that, that's a lot of what we do. Yeah. 
Um, that's really interesting, Ian. And from what you're say, what what you're saying, I'm also hearing that uh, PR is actually now very well integrated into, or should be well integrated into policy affairs and government relations. Uh, in a country where uh, you know uh, modern policy policy make affairs is just about taking off and shaking off the image of uh, you know lobbying in dusty rooms. Um, uh, what do you think is the evolution of this new phase post pandemic, and how does it integrate with PR? Yeah, well, I think there's still quite a big job to do. I think the power of the approach, and maybe we can go on and discuss one or two examples, but of integration of communications with public policy is very evident. But I think structurally there's an issue in in the profession still where, um, you know, yes, you have the big PR agencies that, that might have one or two sort of public affairs, public policy people, and vice versa. You might have some of the the government affairs uh, consultancies with an ex-journalist that can deal with media. But, you know, true integration, I think, you know, requires equally strong practices working working together. And there's some there's some barriers to that. You know, traditionally, the client on the PR side is often a head of communications reporting into a marketing function, for example. Um, on the public policy side, uh, often that reports into a general counsel or a legal function. And I see a lot of that in India, particularly, and you've got a lot of law firms doing policy work. But this kind of public policy campaign approach that we're talking about really does require some structural change and, and some reskilling of professionals on both sides of that fence. Yeah. What would you call out as, you know, the top skills which are required and one top structural change which needs to happen for smooth integration? <clears throat> so, you know, in, in terms of skills, um, this is perhaps an obvious thing to say, but I, I think anything in this area, be it communications, public policy, or an integrated uh, uh, approach, it really needs to be rooted in it deep understanding of the business and the commercial situation that, that, that a client's in. What are the key drivers? What are the potential barriers to growth and development? So you need that really strong commercial understanding. You obviously then need to be probably more than any other function in an enterprise, someone that can help understand and interpret the outside world. You know, what is going on, not just in government and regulatory community, but in terms of shifting sentiment, consumer groups, associations, industry. So you need to be that that conduit to help colleagues at a senior level of a company understand uh, what political and reputational issues mean for them. And I think for all those reasons, I would make the case um, that this is a function, call it, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer or, or, or whatever title you want to give it that should really be reporting into a CEO of a company. Yeah. No, definitely. I think uh, we do have some small changes in large group, in the larger MNCs and the larger Indian-owned uh, companies, but it's definitely not, not the trend. It's definitely yes. not the trend. Um, so, um, so one interesting thing is that a lot of companies PR reports into corporate affairs that that uh, that I have observed. Um, uh, one uh, follow-up question from this: um, you you have done a lot of work for the gaming sector here in India. Uh, could you give us an example of how uh, community management and PR was integrated into what was essentially a pol uh, policy affairs and government relation, uh, relations management? 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, gaming, you know, is 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 a, a full spectrum from you know your classic casual games, uh, computer games, through to um, uh, real money gaming. You know, where people are getting online and and either paying to enter tournaments and win prizes, or or indeed, you know, moving towards the kind of sports betting end. So it's a very a very wide spectrum. We we have one client that's more towards that. Um, uh, real money gaming and sports betting. They're one of the leading global companies uh, in that sector. But they're a company that never wants to operate in a regulatory grey area. And frankly, in India at the moment, there's still a lot of grey areas around around that sector. And so, you know, our job, I mean, firstly, was to help them understand the landscape, help them understand the momentum for change, um, and help them build a narrative, which is to say, look, you know, uh, to, to Indian stakeholders, look, this is a sector that if it was further regulated, um, great transparency, there's huge potential in terms of investment, uh, job creation. And there's also the opportunity to take things from a gray area and ensure that through proper regulation, you're minimizing social harm, right? In terms of either people spending too much screen time or young people getting involved, or when it comes to real money involvement, that that's done in a very responsible way. And so, you know, there's a situation where we've been helping a company make a case, you know, on the economics, on the the, 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 the social issues. And it really has been building alliances centrally, but more particularly at a state level where we see more chance for movement, um, you know, getting economists, think tanks, consumer groups, associations um, involved, uh, educated on the issues, understanding international best practice, and together, you know, looking then at, okay, what is the right solution state by state to, to, to drive this forward? And, we're, and, you know, it'll be a long journey, work is ongoing, but I think that's a classic example where the goal is policy and regulatory, but the route to achieving that is, is a much broader stakeholder engagement effort, including, you know, awareness through media and social media. Yeah. No, that, that's very interesting because actually it's very easy to get into the issues of gambling and, um, you know, those kind of uh, issues. But yes, it definitely requires a societal intervention through PR and community building. Uh, flowing from what you said about, uh, you know, uh, really looking at the uh, state level, uh, as, as you know better than me, uh, India has borrowed its parliamentary system from UK, but we do have a strong federal structure, unlike the UK, and borrowed from perhaps the American system. Uh, given that in mind, uh, what do you notice about uh, the relationship uh, between center and state? Look, we, we do a lot of our work at a state level for obvious reason. I mean, most things are the legislative responsibility of of state. Obviously, then there's co-legislative matters and there's some that sit in the centre. But, you know, the only way we can do that credibly is by having teams and, and, and people on the ground in different key states in the region, listening and learning and engaging with government and other stakeholders. Um, and, you know, understanding, you know, what, what, what is top of their agenda. So obviously, given some of the recent reforms and, and sort of fiscal pressures that are going on, um, anything that is going to be generating additional revenue at a state level, bringing investment and jobs, these, these are hot topics. And then the question is, okay, 
how do you structure a dialogue to, to manage that? I mean, if you look at the case of a classic foreign direct investor, um, both levels make sense, right? I, I have a lot of regard for Invest India, um, and they've obviously been empowered over recent years and have very smart people there and are able to kind of bring to bear the central government machinery to, to, to support people in the ease of doing business, to look at you know, incentives, uh, 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 non-fiscal incentives. Um, so there's a definite need to engage there, but, but there's no substitute for then getting down, getting down at a local level on the ground. Yeah. Do you feel that FaceTime with, uh, with leaders and bureaucrats has become very uh, reduced post-pandemic? Is that a challenge? Uh... It is a challenge. We see it coming back. I mean, generally in the pandemic, you know, our maxim was that if you'd already spent time and built a relationship with someone face to face, it was it was then relatively easy to maintain that through video calls or conference calls. But if you're trying to develop new relationships, there is new, no substitute to getting in front of, of people. We've seen this um, differ in different states. You know, there, 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 there are... There are some places, uh, Rajasthan, Mahastra, where we've seen a strong bounce back in terms of people willing to, you know, do face-to-face -face meetings. Um, in other states, it's it's been been slower. So it's it's a mixed uh, it's a mixed bag. And of course, also certainly for multinationals, kind of foreign investors coming into a country, there's a huge logistical challenge because, as you know, if you're meeting with a government. Uh, official or a regulator, you might have a nice, neat schedule, but it never goes to plan, you know, and you, you, you've got that six hour wait in the lobby until in, until someone can see you. But, but, you know, that's not a reason not to do these things. Yeah, um, we, we always like to take our clients in uh, face to face. Yeah. That sounds familiar as a reporter. I've spent many hours in government <laughs> waiting for the minister to come out and make a statement. <laughs> really sounds a familiar one. One last uh, work question before we move uh, towards, uh, you know, the fun things that you do uh, away from uh, from work. And of course, uh, we'll talk about uh, your leadership tips as well. Um, uh, what sectors would you flag off, though? One would say every sector requires policy affairs right now. But what are the one or two priority sectors which people haven't really talked about or noticed, which you feel does require uh, you know, putting in preventive public affairs? Yeah, I think, I mean, the healthcare sector and let's let's say public health rather than pharmaceuticals, you know, is, is a sector where we're already seeing quite a lot of activity. And I'm, I'm pleased to say, you know, not just from us, but from others, there's, you know, you are seeing really good examples of integrated approaches and, and public affairs campaigns raising awareness of unmet medical needs or, or highlighting the, the kind of health economic case for a different treatment options and things like that. So that is, um, that's a kind of go-to sector, not just in India, but internationally to see some of the best practice there, how people are knitting together dialogue with government and other policymakers, with patient groups, associations, the medical community, how they're using media, social media to shape sentiment around that. So it's a fascinating sector. I think um, some is being done, but more needs to be done in the tech sector, you know, and I say that 
because so much of the agenda is being driven by trust or a lack of trust in terms of, you know, what happens to my data, uh, uh, in terms of the, the power and, 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 and uh, the role that some of the big tech companies are playing. Um, so, you know, it is essential, I think, for companies to engage in there, both to, to build and manage their reputation, <clears throat> but also, you know, government is grappling. We've just seen, you know, what's happened with various drafts of 14 drafts, I think, of a potential Digital India Act that was then removed and will now be coming back in a different form. These are complex issues where, again, no government... Um, can be expected to have all the technical knowledge and understanding of their fingerprints. So public policy professionals have a real role to, to educate, to share um, trends and best practice. So there's a ton to be done in tech. But more broadly, I would say any of those sectors where big, big transition is happening. So you look at renewable energy, for example, both in terms of generation and transmission of that. You look at electric vehicles or electrification generally throughout society. Huge changes and huge kind of opportunities for proper professional public policy um, people to, to, to get involved, add value, structure dialogues and shape outcomes. Uh, that's really uh, interesting uh, way to look at it from the lens of transitions, industries in transition. That would apply to the media as well, I think. We have Absolutely. Public <laughs> media has definitely a trust deficit right now. Um, so uh, coming to a final set of two questions, uh, Ian, what is your personal tip to stay resilient as a leader? I don't think leadership has ever been under as much pressure as it is today. Uh, what is the one thing that keeps you sane? I think you're right. There's never been, um, what's the saying, you know, there's never been so much change and, and going forward, it's, it's only going to accelerate. And, um, you know, we obviously all went through that COVID period, which took its toll on people uh, uh, um, in, in work life. And, and now we're into a sort of new wave of, of uncertainty and volatility. So, um, you know, I'm going to say something that I wouldn't have said a few years ago, but I think physical exercise, whether it be swimming or tennis or getting in the gym or doing whatever you want to do, I think that daily physical exercise is absolutely critical to, um, to build you know, mental health and resilience. Um, and I certainly find myself, you know, if I wasn't out doing something every day, I'm no great athlete, but doing something every day, I wouldn't have the clarity of thought and I wouldn't have the resilience to deal with the challenges. So, you know, that is not something I would probably would have said in my 20s or 30s, but hey, I'm, I'm beyond that now. Um, so it, it's a key thing for me. One final uh, question, Ian, uh, tell us one fun thing about yourself. It could be tennis, it could be swimming. What's the thing you do away from work? Well, tennis, I've fallen in love with tennis. I'm not a very good tennis player, but I do play at least a couple of times a week and I absolutely love it. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm someone that loves reading. I'm someone that loves music. My wife is actually a professional musician, has been all her life. So, you know, whilst I'm stuck in the boring office meetings, I can live vicariously through her as she goes off and does concerts and record albums. And, uh, and that's fun. Yeah. That, that's really nice. What instrument does she, does she play or is it singing? So she, she's a singer-songwriter. So she plays the guitar and she sings and, and she writes her own material. 
Yeah. Well, that that's lovely. With that, we conclude our podcast with Ian Herbison, CEO and uh, co-founder with Spaceside uh, Group. It's been a really interesting conversation. My main takeaways uh, from this is that uh, there's never been a better time for public affairs and PR. To those of our, those of you who are listening from the PR industry, PR has to integrate itself in a better way and not just be an afterthought. And if you see uh, Ian listening to music, uh, it's it's because he loves music and his wife is a, is a musician. And uh, yes, if you talk to him, his dog might walk in. So thank <laughs> you for this lovely conversation. Thank you very much. Great to speak to you.